1: All right, and we're with you up until midnight. 617 779 the number. If you want to weigh in on the loss tonight, Connor Siebold's outing, and what do you project going forward in the series? And as always on the table, what do you want Hein Bloom to do at the trading deadline? 617 779 the number. Oh, one other thing I wanted to mention real quickly here is Jackie Bradley Jr., 0 for 4 tonight. He came into tonight without a hit in five consecutive games. And now if you really start to do the math on this thing, the Red Sox are going to have decisions to make here as it pertains to the outfield because Ref Snyder does not have any options, so you can't send him down to the AAA level. And then you look at a guy like Kike Hernandez who's still making his way back. Obviously, once Duran gets back into the lineup over the weekend against the Cubs, he goes right back to where he should be leading off. So that's two guys. And then you're starting to figure out the rest of the roster with the Arroyos of the world, et cetera. And you start to think about it. Jackie Bradley Jr., one of the best defensive outfielders in the sport. We all know that. And he's actually mashing the ball at home. But you start to do the math on this thing. One of those guys is going to be out. It's not going to be Duran. It doesn't appear that it's going to be. Obviously, it's not going to be Kiké Hernandez. So those become tough decisions for this team. And the reality is Jackie just not, is not hitting as of late. Refs Snyder does give you some good at-bats. I mean, at times, just like most of the hitters in this lineup tonight, he was overmatched by Kevin Gosman, but so was J.D. Martinez. So was Xander Bogart. So was Trevor Story. I mean, Story was absolutely atrocious at the plate tonight. He looked completely lost out there. I mean, if you look at Story, he had no chance at touching that splitter from Gosman whatsoever. But you look at the numbers on Story tonight, he swung at nine pitches, he whiffed at four of them. Okay, the splitter, he swung at four of them, he whiffed at three of them. So, story was overmatched. So, this isn't a big indictment on Ref Snyder. I'm just saying Ref Snyder has given you good at-bats. He's actually a relatively good defensive outfielder as well, which Duran is absolutely, as great as Duran has been at the plate, and as much chaos that guy causes on the bases, man, is that guy horrible in the field. I mean, he gets some of the worst reads you'll see. (laughs) The good thing is he's so damn fast that he makes up for it, but... His reaction to some of the balls out in the outfield is atrocious. 617 779 the number. Let's get to Art in Connecticut. Art, what's up, man? Hey, I, I tried to get in there and rescue you from
0: Peter when he said that he was talking about J.D. Martinez being overrated. I I tried to get in there and rescue out of that one. But, uh, <laughs> if anything, know, Art, he's underrated. Was,
1: uh, <laughs> if anything, he's underrated. Yeah. Nobody talks about his contract. Yeah, really, really. Um. Yeah, look at look, look at the box score here. Um. You know,
0: Dalbact two hits. Um. Uh, the, the catcher had two hits, and they 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 just really were just overmatched by this kid. You, you said that this kid
1: Goslin. He said you said he he always pitches well against the Red Sox. That was yeah. This season, said. twenty-one innings, one earned run, twenty-seven strikeouts. Mm. Yeah. You know, this puts a lot of
0: you know. I, one thing, you know, we we came out of Cleveland. You know, we kicked their their garbage pails over. Got back on the planes. But you guys stink. we're going to go to Toronto, win some games? Losing this game like this, you telling me if I'm right or wrong here. Um, does it put a little pressure on Lazetta and 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 and, and out tomorrow night? What do you think? I'll, I'll hang up and listen to you.
1: Yeah, Art, I appreciate the call. In terms of pressure, his line's open. By the way, if you want to grab it, at six one seven 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 nine seven ninety three seven. I wouldn't say it's pressure, but it's definitely, these guys have a high level of in them. You look at a guy like Nick Pavetta, that guy competes on the mound. You look at a guy like Michael Walker, he competes on the mound. So I don't think it puts any added pressure on these guys. They're going to want to win this series regardless. The big thing to me in this series, and the most important thing, is keep the game close entering the 6th, 7th, 8th, and ninth inning. You may say, oh, Brian, that's super obvious. What do you mean? Well, the reason I say that is because the bullpen for the Blue Jays is absolutely atrocious. It is a major liability. They do not have a good bullpen whatsoever, right? You look at that bullpen, 432 ERA on the season. That's 23rd in baseball. 241 opponents batting average. That's 20th in baseball. 41.5% hard hit rate. That means balls off the bat 95 plus miles an hour. That's the highest rate in Major League Baseball. And I know this may seem crazy (laughs) to bring this up, after what transpired at the beginning of the season for the Red Sox team. But the Red Sox have a better bullpen than the Blue Jays. The bullpen bullpen for the Blue Jays sucks. And the good news for the Red Sox tonight, despite the fact that Hoke is not in Toronto, you didn't use Schreiber and you didn't use Strom. Your two best relievers right now that are actually available to you in Toronto, you didn't use either one of those guys. So if Waka can give you six innings tomorrow... Okay, then you just got to worry about one other inning from somebody else. And you get into the Blue Jays, bullpen, all right. You got a real opportunity. Now, Stripling pitched well against the Red Sox, and he's actually had a relatively good season. It's his best year in terms of his ERA since 2018. But that guy's not an overpowering pitcher. The Red Sox owe that guy one. They should be able to do it tomorrow. And then you look at Wednesday. I mean, you saw Manoa last time he threw against the Red Sox. It was Garrett Whitlock's start against the Blue Jays. That guy throws absolute frisbees. He's got the best hard hit rate in terms of all starters in the sport. The guy's filthy. I mean, he's absolutely nasty, but Pavetta's been nasty. So you have an opportunity to win that game. That's why tomorrow is so important just to make – I mean, that game would be awesome Wednesday if it's for the series. Pavetta in Canada, he's Canadian. That would be awesome. 617-779-7937, the number. Let's get to Cody in a car. What's up, Cody? Hey, man, I really like you, Brian.
2: You're awesome. And uh, I just wanted to say, Marcus Smart, I think he would be our best trade value. I love what he does for the team, but I I couldn't see
1: Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum go. I think he would be our best asset to get rid of. But what are you getting for Smart? That's the question that I'd ask you.
2: Well, I mean, I don't know who's up right now, but... Would you go for a Jamal Murray or somebody like that, or I mean Kyle Lowry? I mean, Denver's, a D- Denver's
1: old. not trading Jamal Murray. They just gave him a max contract. They're not trading Jamal Murray for Marcus Smart.
2: No, no, I know
1: that for sure. But uh, I mean, anybody really? That's that's free. I don't know. I mean, is Kyle Lowry open right now? Well, I mean, you saw him in the in that series, Cody. That guy's fat and out of shape. I would not be trading for him. Marcus Smart's a better player than him right now.
2: Yeah, he is, he is. But I I don't know if there's anybody else out there, but I I think we could.
1: I wouldn't do it, Cody. I appreciate the call, my friend. His line's open at 617-779-7937. is sort of a perplexing thing to me as it pertains to Smart. I don't know why people now and... I understand Cody's point, like, you're not trading Tatum, you're not trading Jalen Brown, so if you do want to get another star-level player, what are your trade chips? I just don't feel like this is the time to trade smart, right? So if you look at the Celtics, they cycled through point guards for years, and it didn't work. And then the Celtics switched Marcus Smart to the starting point guard, basically around that trading deadline, and the team took off. With Marcus Smart on the court this season, the Celtics had a 116.4 offensive rating. Okay, the Jazz were the best team in the entire NBA in offensive rating this season at 116.2. The Celtics were better than that this year with Smart on the court with that 116.4 rating, okay? When Marcus Smart played in the postseason, the Celtics had a 115.35 offensive rating, which is close to the best in the league. They had a plus 7.66 net rating, points per 100 possessions, if you take the offensive rating, Compared to the defensive rating, a plus seven point six six net rating with Smart on the floor in the postseason, so they were great. Like when they went to Smart at point guard, first of all, it made them impossible to score on because your smallest defender was Marcus Smart, six foot four with a six foot ten wingspan, who won the Defensive Player of the Year. So you're not scoring on that team with Jalen and with Tatum and with Robert Williams and Al Horford. And then offensively, this team found a better flow, and Smart found a better role as a point guard compared to a shooting guard. So I just don't understand the conversation around trading Smart at this particular point in time. You found his perfect role, which is a point guard. He shouldn't be a shooting guard. So after you sort of deciphered that and worked through that and found that role for Marcus Smart, why would now be the time to move on from Smart. I've never really understood that conversation. Like, we had this conversation early in the year before Smart was the point guard, and it made sense. Okay, yeah, doesn't really fit. Him as the shooting guard, maybe it is time to move on from Smart. But now, after you found the solution for Smart, after you figured out actually him as a point guard unlocks your defense or makes your defense great and it unlocks your offense, I just don't understand the reason why you would go away from that now six one seven 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 nine seven ninety three seven the number. Brian Barrett with you up until midnight. If you do want to wait in the Celtics, you certainly can. I'm always game for that but I do want to get back to the Red Sox and just sort of looking at as I alluded to earlier, for the first time in a while it does feel like there's some depth as it pertains to the pitching. but I still believe the Red Sox what they should do is add a right hand reliever to go along with the righties you're going to have in there. And when I say the righties you're going to have in there, that means Schreiber, who sort of has not given up a run with an inherited runner. I mean, he's been fabulous when it comes to that. He's in the top 10 in win probability added amongst all relievers. And basically, the reason I point that out is I'm not going to bore you with the numbers on that. But the reason I point that out is basically all the situations that he comes into are deemed to be high leverage. And he's succeeding in those high leverage situations, right? So you look at Schreiber, you look at Hulk, and you look at Whitlock. I would just add one more righty in there because you feel like, okay, you have Strom and you're going to have Josh Taylor. And the lefties now are less important for this team because of the division they play in when you're thinking about Toronto where their main hitters are right-handed, right? Springer, Teoscar Hernandez, and obviously the big boys, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. and Bo Bichette. The same thing can be said for the Yankees. Their best hitters, DJ LeMahieu, Gleb Artois, and the big boys, Aaron Judge, and, of course, Giancarlo Stanton, those are righties. Now, of course, you have an Anthony Rizzo, but that's why you have a guy like Josh Taylor. So my whole thing would be add one more righty to this group and add a guy that, okay, if Schreiber's going to be the dude that comes into the messes, so to speak, with a runner on first or a runner on first and second, then I would like to have somebody where I can be flexible and pliable with both Hulk. and I know they have Hulk in the closer role right now, but I'd like to be a little bit more pliable with Hauk and with Whitlock, when Whitlock goes back into the bullpen and have a guy that can just be at the back end. And I know ordinarily I'm not the traditionalist in this sense, but I would like to have some security at the back end there. And a guy like Daniel Bard makes a lot of sense. And Bard's been really good against righties this season. He's faced 54. They're 5 for 45. That's a 111 opponent's batting average. That 111 opponent's batting average ranks 8th among 246 relievers. So that's the type of guy you'd love to have against the Yankees and the Blue Jays. And obviously it makes perfect sense to get a guy like him here. I mean, it'd be the perfect story, and he's nasty. So that's the one thing that I think is a necessity for Bloom to add at the trading deadline. They could add a first baseman if they'd like to, but I don't look at that as as pressing of a need as the bullpen. And the other thing I'd just say is your number one prospect who's still making his way back from an ankle injury is a first baseman. So how much artillery and weaponry is Heim Bloom gonna use as it pertains to the trading deadline there? It feels like he may rather keep his powder dry when it comes to that particular situation in terms of first base. All right, six one seven 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 nine seven ninety-three seven the number. Brian Barrett with you up until midnight. So if you do want to weigh in, what do you want Heim Bloom to do as we approach the trading deadline? Six one seven 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 nine seven ninety three seven the number. And are you with me? Do you feel like this team actually has a lot of depth as it pertains to the pitching staff. 617 779 the number right here on EEI.
0: The Greg Hill
2: Show, weekdays 6 to 10.
1: Now, here's what's trending on
2: WEEI.
1: Trending Now is brought to you by Nissan. Nissan's an easier choice than ever. With our exciting and fuel-efficient lineup, now get great offers across our full line. Shop at your local Nissan store and nissanusa.com. All right, well, the Sox fell to the Blue Jays tonight 7-2. to That ends their seven-game winning streak. The Sox now drop to 7-15 and in the American League East. The Sox did add a pair of runs late in this game in the ninth inning. Connor Seibold, not a great start. He went four and two-thirds. He gave up seven earned on nine hits, including three bombs. He did manage to strike out seven. The Sox and the Jays play the second of their three-game set Tuesday night in Toronto. That's a 7 1st pitch across the Shaw's and Star Market, WEI Red Sox Network. Shaws and Star Market perfecting the art of fresh. You can tune into the Visit Massachusetts pregame show at six oh seven with Mutt tomorrow. That's sponsored by the Massachusetts Office of Travel and Tourism. Start your Massachusetts summer adventure at visitma.com. Michael Walker will get the start in that one. It's going to be Ross Stripling for Toronto. Meanwhile, the bees announced a multi-year contract extension for GM Don Sweeney today. <laughs> I don't understand this. They fire the coach, but Don Sweeney, who has not made a lot of great moves, he gets an extension. Perplexing to me. Kyrie Irving will opt into his $36.5 million option with the Brooklyn Nets. Kyrie told The Athletic, quote, Normal people keep the world going, but those who dare to be different lead us into tomorrow. I've made my decision to play here. See you in the fall. I don't know what the hell this guy's talking about. I don't know how this is making the world different or he's being different. You opted into $36.5 million, okay? I don't know what the hell you're talking about. Yes, what a hero he is for opting in to make $37 million next year. A Kyrie, hero, okay? We'll follow your lead, man. ESPN's Adrian Wojnarowski reports John Wallace planning on signing with the Los Angeles Clippers. He's agreeing, he's agreeing right now to a contract buyout with the Houston Rockets. That's what's trending now on WEI and WEI.com.
0: You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter. And Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Imports,
1: Chicago, Illinois. Listen to every MLB game live. The deep left center field, it is high,
2: it is far, it is gone.
1: Stream minor league affiliates.
2: The Midwest League home run leader.
1: Watch the best baseball highlights and look-ins on MLB Big Inning. MLB At-Bat is your all-in-one live baseball subscription for only 3 dollars per month.
2: Deep left field. It's going to go. Alvarez ties the
1: game. Subscribe to At-Bat within the MLB app today. Major League Baseball trademarks used with permission. All right, and we're with you until midnight if you want to weigh in on Connor Seabold's outing. What does it mean going forward for him? I'm not overly concerned because he's not going to be a major factor for this team as they make a run down the stretch of the season. You have too many guys in the rotation. Avaldi, Pavetta, Sales coming back, Rich Hill is here. Winkowski's obviously better than Connor Siebold. and I'm not just saying that based on what he is. I mean, he's got a better profile as a pitcher. So I just like Winkowski a lot better, and he's had success in the major league level. I get it, three starts, but he's been really good for this team. He actually has an M.O., his MO at the minor league level, he gets a ton of ground balls, over 56%. At the minor league level, last start, he's over 60%. So that guy has a profile that works in Major League Baseball. And I would have to ask like a professional hitter about this, but he must be so annoying to face because I kind of liken it to the Derek Lowe days. Remember when Derek Lowe, he was in that rotation that also featured Pedro and Curt Schilling And when you can't hit Pedro, it's like, okay, yeah, this is probably the best pitcher of our generation. And then Schilling, he's the best big-game pitcher, one of the best big-game pitchers of that generation. So it's like, yeah, and he's got that nasty splitter. It's like, yeah, you can understand when you have a bad day against those guys, but it must be so frustrating with the Derek Lowe, Josh Winkowski. And I'm not saying Winkowski is Derek Lowe yet. Don't go crazy. I'm just saying... The profile similar in terms of all the ground balls. That's going to be so frustrating. It's like, this guy's stuff is not overpowering, but I just keep getting on top of everything. So Winkowski's part of the equation, Sale coming back, Paxton. So you get all those guys, right? So I'm not concerned about Seabold out there tonight. He started because of the injuries. He's not going to be part of the equation long term. And even a guy like Bayo is way in front of him in terms of the pecking order in the organization. He's way more talented. And even if Seabold never works out, you still got Pavetta in the Workman Embry deal. So I'm not going nuts over that thing. Six one seven 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 nine seven ninety three seven the number. Oh, by the way, so from the four one three, what do you think Bloom should do at the deadline? Well, as you heard me, my number one thing: right-handed reliever. I've mentioned Daniel Bard. I really like David Bednar. That would be like the jewel of this if you can do it, because then you don't have to worry about a closure for the next four to five years. But the problem is he's under team control next year and then he's arbitration eligible so Bard seems like the more re- realistic target and I've talked Bradfell's the first guy to bring that up and I've talked with him several times about it the guy's just nasty I gave you the numbers in terms of his numbers against righties strikeout rates over 31% the guy's outstanding the other thing is if you do think first base is a need and I don't believe Bloom will do this because they have Dahlback. who by the way Dahlback now since the start of the 21 season. He's been the worst defensive first baseman in the sport, minus nine defensive run saves. So he has been absolutely atrocious defensively. And then you look at Franchi, obviously still learning the position. So if you do want a guy that fits the profile, that can play defensively there and give you some pop offensively, C.J. Krohn is a target that if you're going to do business with the Rockies, you may want to consider that. Five defensive run saves since the start of 21. That's fifth among first basemen. Slash line this year, 295. 346, 554, 890 OPS, 17 bombs. He's under contract through 23. The only concern is the home road split's a little bit extreme. 1097 OPS at home, 666 OPS on the road, and we had these conversations about Trevor's story. A lot of guys that get out of there, LeMayhew, Nolan Arenado, they're fine once they leave. The extremes are more so when you're there because it's just so much different going from Colorado to other locations. Once it sort of normalizes in terms of you playing in a different market, those numbers sort of come closer together like a guy like Aaron Otto and DJ LeMahieu. All right, 617-779-7937, the number. Let's get to Kevin. He's in Connecticut. Kevin.
0: Hey, how's it going?
2: Good, man. Hey, listen, just a couple of quick points, and then I'll let you go. Sure. And it's the, my first one, actually, is, I'm, I mean, obviously, I'm happy with the Red Sox playing the way they play. I mean, right now, I mean, we're going to lose games. It's just going to happen. Yeah. Um, but when Sale comes back, I mean, Avaldi's a showstopper now, pretty much. I mean, that's how that works. I don't Pavetta's know about that, Kevin.
1: I don't know. I, I think it may be Pavetta, the way that Pavetta's thrown the ball. Pavetta's had yeah, a better yeah, season too. than Nate.
2: Yeah, true, and that's what I'm saying. The one, two, three spots are pretty much solid. Where does Sale come back in? Does he come back four? Does he come five? If he's weak, is it every other time in the rotation?
1: I mean, he's been on number one his whole life. Is he going to be happy in the four or five spot? You know, I, just, I don't think he cares about, about like that, Kevin. About yeah. I don't think he cares about that. I think he just wants to go out there, compete, and contribute to the team. So I don't think he cares where he aligns. And remember last year, Kevin, last year in the postseason, who did Cora go to for game one? in terms of the wild card of aldi not Chris. Sale. Yeah, so sure, I, don't sure. like, I, I don't think it's like, I don't think it's knowing sales personality and his demeanor. He's not going to care. He's going to try to do whatever he can to oh, contribute I'm to this huge team. Fan. I'm, I'm a yeah. huge Chris Sale fan as a
2: competitor or whatnot. I mean, huge Chris. I was a big fan of his, even when he's over in Chicago, I'm just curious when he comes back. I mean, are we going to try to force him higher in the rotation? Even if he's looking weak, like he did last year, or he gave me happy. just falling oh, what, into does that four what does that mean five, though, five,
1: though, Kevin? Yeah. I, Kevin, I think, okay. So let's say the hypothetical is this team makes a wild card game. He's going to start mm-hmm. the three best starters. So if Sale say isn't better than say the the top three starters right now in this rotation, and I, I assume you'd agree with this, are avaldi when he's back, Pavetta, and then of course you are looking at um, Walker right now, and maybe Winkowski leapfrogs yep. them. But say those say those are your three best. Say say it's Winkowski instead of Walker. Those are the three guys that are going to start. Sale won't. If Sale is mm-hmm. one of the best three, Sale will start. That's how Cora does business. I don't think he's going to play favorites yeah 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 I was just curious all right well thanks for the talk yeah appreciate the call Kevin his line's open if you want to grab it at 617-779-7937 and the big thing too about having that depth as it pertains to the starting rotation especially in those short series is you're gonna have some of these starters that can come out of the bullpen like how about oh man Chris Sale in game one against whoever it is and Chris Sale's coming in after Nate Voldi or in the second game well you know what Nick Pavetta's out there. Let's bring in Josh Winkowski, right? So that's the thing that Core is going to be able to do is he's going to be more pliable because he's going to have all these guys at his disposal. Not to mention the bullpen weapons you have in the hoax of the world. And my imagination or my thought process would be, I don't know how Whitlock goes back into the rotation once sales back. Whitlock's got to go back into the bullpen. They need him in the bullpen. The guy's such a weapon out there, and look, I'm not telling you that Garrett Whitlock can never be a good starter in Major League Baseball. I'm not saying that whatsoever, but for the 2022 Red Sox, you tell me, what's the best role for Garrett Whitlock? It's somewhat of a rhetorical question. It's obvious. Put him in the damn bullpen. The guy's a weapon. Teams fear him when he's in the bullpen. When he's a starter, he's still sort of figuring that out, manipulating and maneuvering his way through the lineup the second time. He was terrible the second time through the lineup, right? Right. So, they have got to figure out what's the best use of Garrett Whitlock, not for Garrett Whitlock in 2024 or 2025. They have him under contract. What is the best use of Garrett Whitlock for the 2022 Red Sox as they're trying to win a World Series? He needs to be in the bullpen. All right, before we go any further, let's hear from the manager, Alex Cora.
0: Got good stuff, basically. I mean, Velo was up. The split was good. I think we we grinded at bats, you know, but we didn't finish him. He's done it against us before, right? This is the third time. So, um, you know, he he pounds the strikes on early on and then he expands. And if you expand with him, you're going to have nights nice like this. You guys have made a number of adjustments, you know, outing to outing. How, how impressive is it to see a guy like him able to sustain that success across three outings? How about, excuse me? A guy like Dawson sustaining success across three starts now against the lineup. The three starts against us at yeah, 30. Uh, yes, this was. Uh, how impressive is it to watch him have oh, three yeah. starts like this against you guys? I mean, he's good. You know, like, uh, his stuff is really good. <laughs> bottom line, you know, but I do believe we got the pitch count up there. You know, uh, they they got the big lead and then he went seven. But uh, you know, it's not that we're happy with the results, but I think you know we we did a few things that we didn't do in the first two. But at the end, the result is the same, right? But uh, the pitch counts, we, we got it to where we want to. It just didn't happen that we didn't, it, we just didn't finish our bats. Let's put it that way. How do you, you look at to tonight? He, I mean, he was okay. You know, early on the fastball was playing right. Uh, swings swings and misses up in the zone. Actually, the changeup was really good tonight. Uh, the other stuff was okay. Uh, that's a tough lineup. You know, he hung up breaking ball to George, and then you know the fastball to Chapman. Vila was down right there, but uh, where we were, we had to push him to five. We we needed five. It didn't happen, but uh, you know, I think overall. Better than last year, although the results are going to show you something else. But uh, you know, the the fastball was really good, and like I said, the changeup. We we, Christian, he gave me the feedback. He's like, Alex, the changeup played. That's that's a good pitch. So you know, it was okay. So, I think the twenty one swings and misses. I mean, does that kind of show you the potential there? That's a lot, right? I mean, um, and like I said, the, the fastball has some life up there, and, and there's some good hitters in that team, and. Uh, you know, to be able to do that against them, you know, um, he, he's he's one of the, he's a good one. You know, it just happened. To, it was the first one this year against a tough team, but uh, he's a guy that we really like. And uh, let's see what happens in the upcoming days. You well, you've made it work without with
1: with a, with a lot of pitching out, right? Being kind of shorthanded, but are you starting to feel the weight of that at all? Are you starting to feel like you need some of these arms back to kind of get your pitching set at full screen? Um.
0: Not really, to be honest with you. Uh, it is what it is, and, and that's how we 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 attack every day here. We know they're gonna come. You know, uh, the big guy is pitching Thursday, so he's getting closer. Navy throwing a bullpen on Wednesday. You know, this is part of 162. You know, is you know, we we've been able to to do our thing with a lot of guys down, and uh, you know, just like other teams have done it, right? Uh, but we, we we're comfortable with these kids coming up and pitching, you know, we, we are, you know, and today was just, you know, we were short in the bullpen, and we had to try to get 15 outs with them. It just didn't happen. Not that you needed any reminders, but, you know, when, when you look at a team like the Jays that's kind of in the middle of the AL East with you, how, how good is this division? How deep is it? I mean, I said it before the season, and uh, I know a lot of people talk about four teams. I always talk about five teams because I think the program they're running in Baltimore is really good. Their pitching is outstanding. We knew that coming into the season. So, everything in this division can pitch. Everything in this division, they can hit the ball out of the ballpark, and uh, you know, uh, it's going to be a grind. You know, uh, we're going to be banging heads uh, for the rest of the season, and. You know, um, we're going to keep doing what we're doing. You know, we had expectations coming into the season to make the playoffs, and, you know, we will keep working for that.
1: All right, that was Alex core after the game tonight. The one thing that really stuck out to me there, obviously he talked about the swings and misses with Connor Siebel. I was just text with Brad Fow about this. This is the most swings and misses a Red Sox pitcher has gotten all season long. He got 21 swings and misses. I gave you the numbers on the whiff rate. It's over 46%. The best guy in the sport is Corbin Burns at 38%. That's how good his stuff was at times tonight. Problem is, whenever he missed in the zone, he paid for it. The home run to Guerrero. The home run to Springer. The home run to Chapman. Whenever he missed in the zone, they made him pay. I mean... Springer ambushed him on a bad slider, so it was. I, even though he gave up more runs this time, obviously went deeper into the game. I was more encouraged tonight watching Connor Seabold than when I watched him last year. It just he had no velocity last year, and he's coming off an elbow injury, so this was better when it comes to that. But the other thing that I would say that stuck out to me about what Cora said, he said the big guy is pitching on Thursday. You know who the big guy is, right? <laughs> The big guy is Chris Sale, which, by the way, the Red Sox aren't playing that day. Oh, man, that's an opportunity to go to Portland, Maine. Great city anyway, but that's a real reason to go to Portland. Check out a Sea Dogs game. Go to a brewery after. I mean, that is the way to go. But anyway, my original point getting as I get sidetracked by the brewery and Portland, Maine and all that. The other thing I just wanted to mention is listen to how core has been talking about Chris Sale. He references him as the big guy. Last week, I talked to him about Chris Sale and asked him about the changeup because he didn't have a changeup last year. Alex Cora said he's much more encouraged this year compared to last year. The velocity's up. The changeup is better. He couldn't pitch to righties last year, or I should say this. He didn't have success against righties because he didn't have that third pitch. So the way that Alex Cora has been talking about Chris Sale over the past couple of weeks has me feeling like he is going to be Not just a guy that starts for the team. Even when he was bad last year for him, he still has an ERA that's close to three. He was still really good for a guy that was featuring two pitches. And then you look at what he could be this year if he has that change up. And I'm starting to feel frisky, man. I'm starting to feel like we're going to see at least 85% of the Chris Sale that we saw pre-Tommy John surgery. Which has me feeling awfully optimistic about this team's chances if you get that guy. You already have Pavetta, Evaldi's coming back, Walk has been really good, Winkowski has been tremendous for this team, and you add Chris Sale to the mix? I mean, that's just an unbelievable thing that, quite frankly, I've been trying to hold off and getting too optimistic about Chris Sale because there's been, unfortunately, since the Tommy John, there's been so many stops and starts. But this is the point that I would say right now is the most excited I've been about the possibility of Chris Sale being a major contributor to the team. The manager just doesn't say stuff like that. Cora doesn't just say stuff like that unless he really is truly excited and believes the player is going to contribute at a major at a major level, if you will. So I cannot wait until Thursday when he gets back on the mound in Portland. Perfectly lines up. Off day for the Red Sox. I mean, you're going to need to watch this thing. 617-779-7937, the number. All right, let's do it now. The legend is here, David in Florida. David, how are you? You know, you are a modern-day Archimedes.
2: Do you know who Archimedes was? Uh, fill Archimedes. me in, David. Archimedes lived in. Um, Wasn't he a mathematician? With, uh, same time period. Was he a mathematician? Exactly. Okay. You are the father of mathematics. Yeah, <laughs> he was back there with Plato. With Plato and Socrates and all them dudes, you know.
0: Yeah, you, all those guys. You
2: are, um, you are a modern day Archimedes. I'll take that you, as a compliment. Everything, absolutely. That's your new nickname. All That's right. your new nickname, Archimedes. Now, Archimedes, and you even knew it. I mean, how'd you know it? How'd you pull that out of your butt? You knew who he was. Yeah. You major think... in mathematics. What I... you major in? Up on our. Up on the hill in Syracuse. What'd you major in? Uh, broadcast journalism. Oh, wow. I thought you just went into this went into this field by accident. You didn't major in, in, in mathematics or like broadcast no. mathematics or anything.
1: Yeah. No, I should have wow. though. I should have wanted into calculus or something.
2: Yeah, like broadcast. You know, maybe you could become like a I don't know a sports mathematician. We'll see. A, a statistician. Yeah. Well. All right. So, David, it, I, I see here.
1: Life. I see here. You want Haim to make a trade. So, you got an idea?
2: Yeah. Well, I, I said from day one, and I'm not going to change my stance. I'm not okay. going. I'm, I'm not even. Gonna, I'm not going. No, no, no. I'm not going where you think I'm going. Okay. But I am going to say in general that they have, and I think this is inarguable. They have a surplus of talent offensively. And more so, if you look at the first five or six prospects coming up, they have to unload some. of and they have to be willing to part with some of their offense in order to get a quality reliever. And,
1: and you I, you, you're saying like up. offense at the minor league level to get a reliever for the this They're team, not right? Not
2: even necessarily. Uh, And what about getting rid of Frenchie right now? Uh, He shows a lot of promise. He's young. Uh, I mean, if you could use him as bait to get a hot.
1: David, this is where I agree with you. If you're trying to get a top end of the market reliever, the Daniel Bards, David Bednar, depending on who else is out there. Lou has mentioned David Robertson. You have to give up something in the farm system. I'm with you. They need to add another right-handed arm to this bullpen, especially considering Mm -hmm. the teams in your division, the Blue Jays and the Yankees. So we actually agree on that.
2: But there are also—I mean—I would also be willing to pay with some of the bottom players on the on the on the roster right now. Like I just said, Frenchie or dalbach I can never say his
1: name. Yeah, but David, Dahlbeck, see, here's Dahlbeck. the thing. Here's the thing. If you're trading for a reliever, what those teams want, and maybe dalbach is bait, if you will. Maybe he is, and if he is, I I wouldn't mind trading him away. So. But my overwhelming point is, those teams are looking for young prospects more so than major league players at the deadline. Those teams that are selling.
2: Yeah, I mean uh, exclusively prospects. I mean, Dalbeck most is, teams Dalbeck's are. Well, hey, Dahlbeck's... Yeah, but he's older, older than Devers. Ahead.
1: He's older than Raffy. What about what about Frankie? Yeah, I just How don't. Old he? David, I'm not. I'm not opposed to trading either well, one of Durant. those guys. Well, well Duran's Durant. also old, older than Devers. But do you want to get rid of Duran right now? Kike Hernandez is a free agent after the season. You Jackie know, Bradley Jr. is on an everyday I mean, player. Like, do you want to get rid of Duran right now? No, I mean, no, I mean, not necessarily.
2: But you know, you have to look at everybody as a commodity. Everybody is movable.
1: Everybody is for the right price.
2: And and if you want, yeah, I, I disagree mean, with that. You know, Devers is br-
1: not movable. I, I disagree with that.
2: You know, nah,
1: bro, you, look what Brad
2: Stevens did to get. To get what's his name, um, the the, 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 the white the 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 guard. he yeah, gave up a first-round he gave up a first, round, up pick. A
1: first round pick well, in Josh Richardson. <laughs> We're not, yeah, it's yeah, 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 yeah. not a lot.
2: And but, well, yeah, and he, all right. Well, but but he was willing to part with a first round pick to get well, what's his name, Derek, the uh, uh, whatever his name is. Yeah, David, we the talked guard. about. It. I
1: appreciate the call, David. Good stuff tonight. His lines open at six one seven 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 nine seven ninety three seven. All right. Before we go, i got one other thought. A good thing that we saw over the weekend from this Red Sox team, I'll address that next here in EI. All right, and we're with you up until midnight. 617-779-7937, the number. Of course, always on the table as we're getting closer. We're inching closer to that time. What do you want to see Bloom do at the trading deadline? That's on the table. What did you make of Connor Seabold's outing? 617-779-7937, the number. I'm really optimistic about the series going forward tomorrow. Just get into that bullpen. That's what the Red Sox need to do. The Blue Jays have an Achilles heel. It's their bullpen. It absolutely blows. In fact, their pitching in general. They have a bunch of guys at the top end of the rotation too. I should say we saw Gosman tonight. We're going to see Manoa on Wednesday night. Both those guys are good. You could make a real convincing argument that right now Manoa is the best pitcher in the American League, and I wouldn't put up too much a fight. Uh, put up too much of a fight against that. And Stripling pitches tomorrow, who's throwing the ball well for him, but his pedigree is not great. The Red Sox should be able to get to him tomorrow. And then you look at sort of that bullpen. they got to be able to feast on that group. So as long as Waka – and Waka has put this team in a position to win pretty much every time he pitches. They've won eight of his 11 starts. If he keeps you in that game and you're looking at a one-run game entering the sixth inning, the Red Sox should win that thing because they will clobber the bullpen of the Toronto Blue Jays. Oh, but I did want to mention the other thing that I felt – Obviously, you feel really optimistic about this team. They were 19 and four in the month until today. They dropped to 19 and five. But another thing that has developed that I feel really good about is Verdugo. So entering tonight, and by the way, he had two more hits tonight, did Verdugo. Verdugo entered tonight hitting 317 in the month. That was 27th out of 187 hitters. During that stretch, he had a 9.8% strikeout rate that actually went down tonight. 8th of 187 hitters, his on-base percentage was at 391. That was 31st out of 187 hitters. And the thing about Verdugo is this, he has been and this isn't just like me saying this by my own observation, it's actually backed up with facts. Alex Verdugo has been one of the unluckiest hitters in Major League Baseball. Like there are numbers out there that basically track your expected home runs, your expected slugging percentage based on essentially the quality of the contact. And in terms of Alex Verdugo, he has been hurt more than pretty much anybody else in the entire sport with the exception of Trey Mancini. His expected home runs were actually 4.2 less than his actual home runs on the season based on the quality of the contact, et cetera. His expected slugging percentage juxtaposed to his actual slugging percentage It was the 15th widest gap in all of Major League Baseball. So when you look at it in that context, it tells you that, okay, he was making a lot of loud contact. The problem was he just wasn't getting the results. And I do give him a lot of credit for sort of sticking with the process, right? Because that has got to be awfully frustrating for a player. And right now, Verdugo's up to an eight-game hitting streak. He's been absolutely hitting the crap out of the ball. So he's finally getting rewarded for – Making solid contact, having the right approach at the plate. It's finally working out for them. Maybe some of that is just the temperature got better, et cetera. He did admit to Joe and Will a couple of weeks ago that sometimes he was trying to do a little bit too much, but he's been pretty much for the most part this season, true to who he is as a hitter. He's a major contact guy. He's the best on the Red Sox in terms of preventing strikeouts. Second best on the team is Christian Vasquez. So the reason I bring up Verdugo is just he brings more depth to the lineup and you know what you're going to get on a nightly basis from Devers and J.D. and Xander Bogart, so it's imperative that you get some of these other guys going. We saw what it means when Jaron Duran gets on the bases and can create havoc. I just feel like he's such a weapon because when he's on base, especially in the first inning, he had been on base more than half his plate appearances in the first inning, 7 of 12. I mean, the on-base percentage is through the roof, right? I mean, if you look at it, think about what that does. When you have a guy in the first inning that's getting on base 53.8% of the time, if you will, in the first inning, he's in front of Raphael Devers. So just think about it in the context of the starting pitcher. So first of all, you got to worry about Jaron Duran on the bases because obviously he's a threat to steal. (laughs) We've already seen it. Stole two bases the other day. He's a threat to run. So there's that portion of the equation, and then there's, oh, yeah, well, the best power hitter in the sport, arguably the best hitter in the sport and Rafael Devers is at the plate. So you got to deal with the speed of Duran and then deal with Rafael Devers. It's just a whole different dimension that, quite frankly, this team has not had really since Mookie Betts. I mean, they really haven't had that type of guy at the top of the order that has that ability to run. Kike Hernandez did a really good job in that leadoff spot last year, but he's not the base running threat that a guy like Jaron Duran is. So it's such a major weapon. Unfortunately, they don't have him in Toronto. It's just where the Red Sox are at right now. There's nothing they can do about it now. The guy is not vaxxed. I'm not taking a shot at Jaron Duran, but it would be nice to have this guy in the series. It's just something that the Red Sox are going to have to deal with throughout the season when they play these games in Toronto. They're not going to have Houck, who technically is their closer right now, and Jaron Duran, who's their leadoff hitter right now. All right, thanks to Ethan for producing. We're back with you tomorrow after the Sox and the Jays. Have a great night, everybody. Be safe and be well.